The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 20. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. We have reached 20 episodes already and over 3,000 listens, for which I'm very grateful. And right now, we begin a new scene in a new location. We are in a room in Polonius's house, away from the battlements, away from the state rooms. We met Polonius all the way back in episode 11, when his son Laertes was asking for permission to return to university in Paris. Laertes is presented as something of a foil to Hamlet, admired by the king, capable of presenting himself correctly at court, and generally being a good son. Now we see him in a more private setting, chatting with his sister as he prepares to pack. He has the king's approval, so, of course, he must make his way back to school. Laertes is a character entirely made up by Shakespeare. There's no equivalent character in any of the sources. He gets his name from the father of Odysseus in Homer. If there are any nods to Greek mythology or literature, they are buried very deeply. His sister is named Ophelia, and she's the next major character in the play to be introduced. I was tempted to say the last, but in this more than any other Shakespeare play, this is simply not the case. New and influential characters keep appearing all the way right through Act 5. Ophelia is or has been entangled romantically with Hamlet, but if they were on Facebook, there is no doubt that the status would say complicated. On some listings of the characters in the play, it simply introduces her as in love with Hamlet. Shakespeare doesn't trouble us much with the happier details of whatever is between them, as we shall see but we pick up pretty quickly how things stand now, and indeed how Laertes feels about his sister's chances. The scene begins plainly and affectionately. My necessaries are embarked, farewell, and sister, as the winds give benefit and convoy is assistant, do not sleep but let me hear from you. Do you doubt that? So far, so sweet. It's interesting that Laertes describes the transit, both his own and those of his sister's letters, as being by ship rather than by land. I'm not sure how the journey between Elsinore and Paris might have worked, but perhaps this gives us a small insight. Shakespeare, as noted elsewhere, doesn't trouble himself a great deal with the logistics of geography, but that's not to say he's wrong here at all. Ophelia is presumably a good writer of letters, if Laertes is so eager to keep hearing from her. It's interesting that the siblings both use the more formal you instead of thee or thou in this exchange. There's room for a small pause before Laertes brings their conversation to the matter of his sister's involvement with the prince. For Hamlet and the trifling of his favour hold it a fashion and a toy in blood, a violet in the youth of primy nature, forward, not permanent, sweet, not lasting. The perfume and suppliance of a minute. No more. Laertes lays it on pretty thick here. For Shakespeare, just as much as for Destiny's Child, trifling is not a quality one wants in a man. The word came from French into Middle English and means deceit. So Laertes is bringing up just how deceitful and short-term Hamlet's attention or favour can be. Just like fashion, it can come and go. A toy in blood is a peculiar phrase, but the inference is something like a sensual attraction that is also superficial. All of Laertes' images are to suggest a lack of depth, a lack of seriousness. Next, he likens Hamlet's attention to a violet. 
This flower, in particular, is associated in Shakespeare's imagination with youthful exuberance, but also with inconstancy and early, even premature, death. Violets bloom early in spring, but quickly fade away. We will have more references to violets a good deal later in the play, and indeed Laertes' mention of them in this context are quite prophetic. Primy is a word Shakespeare made up for this scene. It's the only time he uses it. Here, it means something like youthful or in its prime, maybe even horny, rather like its echo in Othello, who has the line, as prime as goats. Laertes is very much playing the watchful big brother for Ophelia, warning against the attentions of the young prince. A violet in the youth of primy nature, forward, not permanent, sweet, not lasting, the perfume and suppliance of a minute, no more. Suppliance is another word that appears nowhere else in Shakespeare. Clearly, Laertes is getting a most erudite education in Paris with all of these fancy words. It's no accident that Shakespeare would choose to put new and particular words in the mouth of a scholar like this. Suppliance goes with perfume, and the two give the effect of Hamlet's attention, not to say love, being able to provide the scent and sensory pleasure of a minute, but not much more than that. Poor Ophelia can barely get a word in with her brother, let alone her loquacious father, whose full doddery chatter we will encounter in the next few episodes. She gently questions her brother's zealous point. No more. No more but so? Think it no more. And Laertes is right back on the case. The following speech is very long and will bring us right through to the end of the next episode. Laertes, whether consciously or not, speaks in a very complicated way. Unlike the thrilling immediacy of Hamlet's language and ideas, Laertes reaches for rather more highfalutin images and analogies. The most eloquent thing he says here is no more, and this too will be echoed later in the play. For nature, crescent, does not grow alone, infuse and bulk, but as this temple waxes, the inward service of the mind and soul grows wide withal. The point he's making here is that it's not just our bodies that grow, expand or change over time. Nature, one's body, does not grow alone in fuse and bulk, or muscle and mass. It's a stretch to say that Laertes is quoting St Paul here. The letter to the Corinthians is probably the first instance in all of literature of anyone likening the body to a temple. But Laertes extends the metaphor by mentioning the temple's inward service growing too. The main spiritual activity within the body as temple is the life of the mind and the soul, and these can expand and change just as the body itself does. I love this richness in the way that Shakespeare writes. Now, I've tried to find some kind of a tie-in to the fact that Laertes also mentions crescent and waxes, hoping to see if perhaps there's any connection to the moon here, but I haven't really found anything. Maybe, maybe Shakespeare is inviting us to infer that Laertes is hinting at the moon and her worship via the goddess Artemis, who was, of course, the protectress of virgins. But that's a very big stretch indeed, and if he wanted his sister to remain chaste, he could probably just say so. So, if nothing else, it's just very elegant language for the temple or the body expanding. He continues, Perhaps he loves you now. And now no soil nor cautel doth besmirch the virtue of his will. Laertes really has a lot to say on this, doesn't he? 
Now Hamlet might be saying the right things. Now there may be no evidence that he's not sincere. No soil nor cortel means no stain or craftiness or deceit. The point is to make Ophelia doubt. Hamlet may currently come across as completely sincere, with no blots or blemishes to undermine this. But of course he's going to continue. But you must fear. His greatness weighed. His will is not his own. For he himself is subject to his birth. He may not, as unvalued persons do, carve for himself. For on his choice depends the safety and health of this whole state. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Laertes is trying to make Ophelia see that really, Hamlet isn't the one who gets to choose. She needs to bear his position in mind, to weigh his greatness, and realise that, as a prince, what Hamlet wants doesn't matter very much. His greatness weighed, his will is not his own, for he himself is subject to his birth. Here, Shakespeare makes an analogy to the dinner table, where meats were served and one could carve for oneself. In his choice of romantic partner, Laertes is saying, Hamlet cannot just pick. He may not, as unvalued or ordinary persons do, carve for himself. For on his choice depends the safety and health of this whole state. It's quite interesting that Laertes downgrades Ophelia so much here. Later in the play, Queen Gertrude will describe how she hopes, or hoped, that she could be Hamlet's wife, but the brother seems to think, somehow, that she's not worthy. The safety and health of the state are clearly too much for Ophelia to bear. Laertes has plenty more to say, and we will continue with his speech in the next episode. This episode is the last of 2017, and if you're listening at the time of its broadcast, I would like to take this moment to wish you a very happy new year. I'm really thrilled that people are tuning into these podcasts from all over the world, and I look forward very much to continuing on this journey through this wonderful play over the 52 weeks ahead. May this new year, 2018, bring you health, wealth, happiness, and hours of happy listening.